So it's almost like I don't trust my brain. Uh, saying my thoughts out loud allows me to have this second, this distance where I can judge my thoughts and be like, you know, that is just not a good thought. That is just a waste of time. Let's move on. Uh, so that's just one sort of homegrown strategy that I found super effective. Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? We're all struggling as a result of COVID-19. Many of us are working from home. Many of our kids are taking classes at home. Some of them are in school some days and home on other days. There's lots of tension, there's lots of stress, and we're all struggling to figure it out. To that end, the parent coaching groups are here, and I know that they can help. This will be the fourth round of ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups that have run during this pandemic. They are tested and vetted. I have, however, made some adjustments. Up until now, the self-care week has been towards the end. But that doesn't make sense in COVID. So I've moved it to the very first week of the online parent coaching groups. We will start with self-care. We will put on our oxygen masks so that as parents, we are more prepared to face the challenges that are coming down the pike every single day. Then we'll move into parenting as leadership for week two. Week three and four will be family connection and communication. And weeks five and six will focus on emotions, anxiety, and the wall of awful. Week seven will look at systems and structures. And week eight, our final week, will be devoted to your questions. And of course, time throughout the parent coaching groups will be allotted for your questions and to help you with specific challenges that you're facing overall or just in that specific week. The parent coaching groups will start on January 18th, so we've still got some time. Registration will be open into the new year. Go to ADHDessentials.com slash parent groups to get all the information you need. I can't wait to speak with you. And of course, check out our partner podcasts, ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers and Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb. This week's ADHD Rewired episode features the monthly Q&A with your host, Eric Tivers, as well as the rest of the ADHD Rewired crew, Will, MJ, Moira, and myself. The questions were excellent this month, and you're bound to find useful takeaways, regardless of the stage that you're in, with regard to your diagnosis. And in the latest episode of Hacking Your ADHD, Will Curb talks about ways to manage your ADHD by automating things, with a special focus on shopping and finances. As usual, this episode was edited by Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to AJ Jacobs. AJ is an author, lecturer, and human guinea pig. 
He's written four New York Times bestsellers that combine memoir, science, humor, and a dash of self-help. In addition to his books, he's written for the New York Times, Entertainment Weekly, New York Magazine, and Dental Economics, one of the top five magazines about the financial side of tooth care. He's appeared on Oprah, The Today Show, Good Morning America, Conan, and The Colbert Report. In today's episode, AJ shares his journey as a writer and dad with ADHD, and how his lifestyle experiments have affected both himself and those around him. AJ talks about how the way we behave can affect the way we think, the power of gratitude, as well as how his ADHD affects him and the strategies that he's developed to manage it, where he gets ideas, and a little bit about talking spoons. All right, let's get rolling. I'm AJ Jacobs. I am a writer, nonfiction. Uh, I usually do some sort of experiment on myself and then write about the good and the bad uh, and the weird of it. So for instance, I tried to live by all the rules of the Bible for a year, even though I I wasn't particularly religious. Uh, I tried to be the healthiest person alive and follow every bit of medical advice I could find. My last book was all about gratitude, where I tried to thank a thousand people who had even the smallest role in my morning cup of coffee. And I took it wide. So the barista and the farmer, but also the logo designer and the trucker and uh, the roaster and the, the health inspector. So that's that's the kind of book I like to write. I love your books. I've read. I've Thank read your you, Brandon. Yeah. No, that's why I wanted to have you on. So I've read Year of Living Biblically. I've read Drop Dead Healthy, The Know-It-All, and Thanks a Thousand. And I'm like- That's a lot. Yeah. I'm like seven or eight chapters into It's All Relative, I think is the- That's the title. Yeah. So I have been going through them. (laughs) Um, Well, I am very- And I have been listening to your podcast, which I think is fantastic. So uh, I'm a fan of yours. And you've already told me that you actually have ADHD. I do. I do. I I don't have that severe a case, but uh, I definitely struggle with it. And uh, as we were talking about right before we went on air, it has its its pros and cons. It has its good and bad parts. The first thing that I'm curious about, and it's it's such an ADHD trait, and I'm probably putting the cart before the horse at the moment because I'm just like, we're going to jump in the deep end fast and be very ADHD in this whole thing. <laughs> but the books that you write and sort of the experiments that you run on yourself, where you're just going to live by the rules of the Bible for a year and not wear mixed fabrics and like be dressed in white all the time and stone adulterers like you do. <laughs> sure. I've read enough of your books and I always, as I read them, I'm like, what are the people around you experiencing when all of a sudden you're like grown out a beard and dressed in all white or flossing religiously and doing all of the exercises that you can do or traveling around the world to thank everybody who has made your cup of coffee? It's a very mixed bag for the people around me. Uh, so I live in New York and I have a wife and three kids. Sometimes there are good parts to my experiment for them. Other times, not so much. Uh, one of my, my first book was I read the Encyclopedia Britannica from A to Z and tried to learn everything in the world. And my wife started to fine me. She penalized me $1 for every irrelevant fact I inserted into conversation. <laughs> and that kind of had a little crossover with ADHD, sort of just like 
throwing in facts just because they popped into my mind. You know, the gratitude one, psychologically, I'm more Larry David than I am Mr. Rogers. Like there's a battle in my brain. This book on gratitude was an attempt to try to become more Mr. Rogers than Larry David. So in some senses, she liked that. She didn't like that I like flew to Columbia to thank the farmers. And then, you know, the Bible one was uh, not her favorite at all. First of all, I had this huge beard because the Bible says don't shave the corners of your beard. And I didn't know where the corners were. But the Bible, (laughs) the Old Testament also has all these rules about purity and that you're not allowed to touch women during their time of month. And it goes further. It says that you cannot sit on a seat where a menstruating woman has sat. So my wife found that offensive and sat in every chair in our apartment during her her time. So I basically had to stand for the rest of the year. Though I will say, while while I was doing my health book, uh, I learned that sitting is not good for your health. So in a sense, she was doing me a favor. That's like, that's awesome to me. That's kind of, I I think it's a little amazing that your wife was like, I'm offended by this rule in the Bible that you're living. Cause it, it's not like you're, I assume maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me like you're living by the rules because the rules are there, not because you're necessarily like believing them. Like you're not going, this is how it should be. You're just going for the sake of this project. I'm living these rules. Right. I definitely, I I mean, it was interesting because one of the big themes of all of my projects is that your behavior affects your, your mind. I definitely wasn't religious. As I say in the book, I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. Not very. But the, the point is that forcing yourself to act in a certain way actually does have a huge impact on your outlook on the world. So, you know, I forced myself to follow these biblical rules, and it really changed the way I I saw things, uh, you know, some of them more than others, the, the, the serious ones like not gossiping or not lying. I really tried to force myself to do that. And it was fascinating to see how slowly but surely it had an effect. You know, the whole acting as if the, uh, the fake it till you feel it, it's a very powerful tool. In what way did that affect you? Like the not gossiping, how did that play out? I mean, it was surprisingly powerful. I, I live in New York City and I'm a journalist. So gossiping, lying and coveting, you know, that's like 80% of my day. So it was really a radical change in my behavior. You know, every time I had the urge to gossip, I would just shut it down. And what I found fascinating was the less I said negative things about other people, the less I thought negative things about other people. It sort of shut down the cycle. And I started to have a much more positive outlook about humanity, which I think is healthier. I think it made my life better and, and hopefully made me a better person to be around. I'm not saying I, <laughs> I'm Gandhi. I, I still gossip a tremendous amount, but I have cut it down from before my project. But, you know, maybe 30 percent, 40 percent. And that's something. I only push 10% better on the show. So 30 to 40% is phenomenal. One of the things I can say, because we've talked about sort of in pieces here, you've wrote that Thanks a Thousand book, which I totally want to play with that gratitude piece. Um, You've got It's All Relative, which is about you creating a family reunion of, I'm not at the end of it yet, so I don't know how many people showed up, but you basically went to make a family reunion of the entire world is effectively what you're heading for. Right. And 
just as evidence of the fact that these experiments have affected you in some way. I know for a fact that some random dude on Facebook friend requested you because Facebook was like, hey, Brendan, you should friend request AJ Jacobs. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Okay, I've read his books. Sure, (laughs) Facebook. And the way you replied was you confirmed it. And then I sent a message just saying thank you. And you replied back to me by saying, thank you for the note. I like, I appreciate you reading my books or how, whatever the phrase, whatever the saying was. And you, and you even said, called me cousin in the course of that message. And so that's those last two books coming out in your day-to-day life, kind of as a normal behavior of like counter thanking me and also referring to me as your cousin. So these books and these projects clearly are having some kind of an impact and echoing through your your existence yeah i mean i am very grateful for gratitude because it really did have a huge impact on me and it's a discipline i feel gratitude is a discipline and i have to force myself to do it but the payoffs are huge and it becomes a little more natural uh, the more you do it Uh, but i just yesterday finished a big gratitude project because i had said when the book came out that I would write a thousand handwritten personalized thank you notes to readers who wanted a a note. And it took me way longer than it should have. It was like two years. I felt terribly guilty, but I finally did it. And, uh, you know, it was a pain literally in the hand. Like I got, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but it was also wonderful because again, I was, I wake up grumpy. I'd force myself to spend half an hour writing thank you notes and by the time I had written this and, and sort of put myself in other people's minds and, and embraced this idea of gratitude and that I, I couldn't have a living without the people who buy my books, it really changed my outlook. And so I am fully on board. I've definitely drunk the gratitude Kool-Aid. I have to know how many thank you notes you can knock out in a half an hour. Four, because I do try to actually, you know, people would fill out a little form about themselves and I would try to personalize it because I felt if I was going to do it, I, I shouldn't just, you know, phone it in. I should actually, uh, yeah, well, it took me too long, but I, I'm, I feel good. And I, I don't know, I want to do another gratitude project now because it really is, I feel cool. important to my sanity. So on my level of gratitude, it's I don't know if it's exactly gratitude practice, but it's gratitude adjacent. Um, and since we're friends on Facebook, you might see it on occasion. Almost every day on Facebook, I post today's awesome colon and write whatever it is. I love that. Can you give me some examples? It varies. It's all over the map. Today's will literally be this interview. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's pancakes. Who doesn't love pancakes? Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday's it was was writing an essay with my kids. Um, I'm homeschooling them for COVID. I was a sixth grade English teacher and they're in sixth grade. So I'm kind of in my wheelhouse. Oh, perfect. Um, and I'm an entrepreneur who can adjust his schedule as necessary. Very nice. Yeah, it's working okay. It's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> I'm sort of working like three jobs all at the same time, but it's it's going okay. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, but it grew out of, uh, it was the worst year of my life basically. And I'm not looking for like, oh, poor use. But, but in one year, uh, my career as a teacher ended, my mom got sick, my mom passed away, and then my car burned down. Mm. It was a hard year. That's not 2020 is nothing compared to that. I'm like, Good for this you. This is not that hard. <laughs> um, but 
But I remember standing on the side of the road and literally watching my car burn down. There was a 50 foot pyre of flame coming off the hood of my car on the side of the mass pike. And I just was like, I don't know what the takeaway from this is. Like, I feel like there should be a takeaway. And I decided to stop looking at the awful and start looking at the awesome because I was in a dark place at the time, probably understandably so. And so I was like, every day I'm going to write what's awesome. And I, that was what sort of launched it. But that process, like you're saying, it changed my fundamental outlook on the world. It might've been the worst year of my life, but my car burning down is the best thing that ever happened to me because it capped off that year and shifted things. Right. Right. Um, I love that. So, yeah. So I can completely see how spending a year doing any of the projects you're doing would shift some stuff. I feel very lucky that I get to do these for a living because, you know, some of them, sometimes they are painful, but in the end, I do feel I get some takeaways that make my life better. You're a dad. And your kids are teenagers. Yeah. 16 and 14. So they've got to be like, what is my dad doing now? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they are uh, increasingly skeptical. I mean, in the very beginning, when they were very young, they just thought everyone's dad did this kind of thing for a living. Uh, But and then they went through a phase where they wanted me to do projects that would be better for them. So instead of going around thanking people for my cup of coffee, they were like, why don't you do s'mores or something, you know, we can eat something that we we can have a lot of s'mores around the house. So yeah, but I will say there are some advantages for them. Uh, When I did the one about that everyone is related, I was able to use that to meet some really interesting people uh, because I figured out how I was cousins with, you know, I'm 14th cousins with Ted Allen and my kid loves Ted Allen's food show, uh, Chopped. So I got to introduce him to our cousin, our distant cousin, Ted Allen. So there are some perks for them. That's cool. Do you find them taking on their own projects or anything like that? Does any of that kind of adventurousness rub off on them? Ah, Or are they just rolling their eyes a lot? No, I think they are definitely intellectually curious and adventurous. And um, I I remember a couple of years ago, we, my, one of my sons and I, he wanted to be an inventor. So, and he came up with an idea of a, uh, a spoon that would encourage kids to eat their vegetables using reverse psychology. So it was like a a spoon with a little talking box in it, a little speaker. And if the spoon said, you know, eat your vegetables, no, the kids would not like it. But if the spoon was like, don't eat me, I'm a baby carrot, you know, I've got a family of other carrots and don't, please don't, please don't eat me, then kids might want to eat them. So uh, I love that. And we actually hired some guy to try to make it. It was a little bulky. So I'm not sure it's ready for market yet. That's the best idea for a kid's fork spoon utensil ever. (laughs) I hope so. Like like when your kid just wants to be a giant monster and they're like, oh, now you're a dinosaur, eat the trees. And they have like a fork full of broccoli and just start screaming at them. No. (laughs) Right. Who wouldn't want him? Exactly. (laughs) So prior to recording, you sent me an article that you wrote about attention. It's a little harrowing at the beginning because you almost died in a, in a car accident because you just, your attention got diverted. So I'm kind of curious about how it, how that the ADHD attention affects you as, especially as a writer, because part of writing is reading a lot. So you must be doing a lot of research. Is that challenging for you? Is it something that goes easily because you're 
jumping into a project that you're passionate about anyway? What does that look like? It's certainly a huge challenge. And as I say, you know, everything has its, its upsides and down, downsides. Uh, but it's certainly a struggle. I mean, as you referenced, I was driving with my wife up to uh, our cousin's wedding, and I was more interested in the audio book on Einstein, a biography of Einstein, and I just kind of stopped paying attention to the road, and we, you know, went into oncoming traffic, and so, yeah, that is not a good part of it, and I would say I've, I've had to build up a lot of techniques to try to help me with attention and focus. I've also tried to incorporate it and use it as a strength when I can. Yeah, as a writer, since I, I have ADHD, something has to be really interesting for, to hold my attention. And I find it very helpful as a writer to test it on myself. If I am so reading my own work and I'm starting, my mind is starting to stray, I'm like, well, this is not good. Or if I'm writing, if I'm writing something and I'm just not fascinated by it, I'll sort of lose steam and start doing something else. So I like to have writing that actually holds my attention. And since I have ADHD, if it holds my attention, hopefully it will hold everyone's attention. So uh, yeah, that article was all about how I've tried to come up with strategies. And this was before I knew about your podcast. So a lot of these were sort of homegrown strategies. Now that I listen to you, I'll have some more yeah, hopefully. <laughs> scientific. Yeah. Uh, one strategy I remember mentioning in there is, is actually talking out loud, narrating to myself. And I do find that very effective. Even if I'm just walking down the street, I'll, I'll talk about I'm walking down the street. Now I'm thinking about my deadline. Now I'm thinking about how, you know, my kids are, I'm not paying enough attention to my kids. And I, just by hearing myself talk, I'm more aware of my thoughts. So if my thoughts start to go off the rails, which often happens, being able to hear them and having the second mind say, all right, hold on. What you just said is a little crazy. You know, the world is not ending. So let's put, get some perspective. So it's almost like I don't trust my brain. Uh, saying my thoughts out loud allows me to have this second, this distance where I can judge my thoughts and be like, you know, that is just not a good thought. That is just a waste of time. Let's move on. Uh, so that's just one sort of homegrown strategy that I found super effective. And that's an awesome strategy because especially our negative thoughts, so many of them just kind of sneak through the bushes of our mind like a ninja and we don't even notice that they're happening, right? <laughs> and you, you're just like, you know, I got a spotlight on that bush right there. Like I see you. This is what that negative <laughs> thought is. And that lets you judge it more accurately. So that's, that's pretty awesome. I love that metaphor. That's exactly what it is. They, they're very sneaky, those thoughts. So yeah, just calling them out. I was just reading a book on, uh, what is it? I forget which kind of therapy. I, I think it's a act therapy, but this sort of defusing your thoughts by taking them apart and almost looking at them in a Buddhist way, sort of as a you know, having a little distance from your own thoughts and saying, you know what, that's just a thought. That's just a thought. Not all thoughts you have are good. 
not all feelings you have, you really have to pay huge attention to. Feelings can come and go, and some of them are dumb. This is hitting home for me because that's stuff I'm dealing with, with with my kids right now. And fun fact, we're both fathers of twins. Oh. Yeah, mine are identical. I've got identical 11-year-olds. I don't, I don't know. Are yours identical, fraternal? Mine are fraternal. And actually... We went, this is a little off topic, so. It's an ADHD podcast. A great point. Uh, a few years ago, I took them to the Twins Festival in Ohio. I don't know if you That's on our that. bucket list. We haven't gone yet. But. Oh, it's fantastic. But yours will do much better there because fraternal twins at the Twins Festival are kind of second-class citizens. It's like, you're not real twins. So, yeah, you know, you guys will have a, a better experience. But I loved it. Circling back to the the ninja thoughts and, and emotions and feelings kind of coming and going with COVID, like that's where my kids are, right? They've been cooped up in the house a lot. And just today I had to help them bounce back from some, some frustration and, and darkness because I'm making them go to Boy Scouts, <laughs> like, but that's just, they're just sort of done. They're like Boy Scouts and I don't blame them at all. Their view is like, we're not scouting. We can't go sleep in a tent in the woods anywhere. We can't really do any of the adventure stuff of Boy Scouts. So it's just the tedious part of Boy Scouts that they're getting. And I understand that. Like, I still, I'm like, yeah, you got to stick it out though, because COVID will end and we'll get to the other side. We might end up taking a hiatus until COVID is over now that we can see the end with the hopefully fingers crossed coming vaccines that will work. Yes. But yeah, so that, that darkness, I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, it just brings up, the idea of uh, another strategy of, of, you know, being outside, getting a lot of physical movement, uh, which I assume this guy was never in the Boy Scouts. So, but I assume they do stuff outside. Uh, and one thing that I do is I work on a treadmill desk. So I'm on there, not all day, but I would say, you know, for about three hours a day. And I find that also is very effective for my attention. For my health book, I read studies that say walking does raise your serotonin level, which I, I believe is associated with attention and mood. So if I am sitting, I'm more likely to let my mind wander than if I'm just walking. And I don't walk fast. I walk slow. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not in great shape, despite my book on uh, trying to be the healthiest person in the world. <laughs> but I do find that another effective strategy. That's awesome. I'm super jealous that you have a walking desk. I have a standing <laughs> desk. I stand up for everything that I'm doing. Are you standing least, now? I'm standing right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. look at that. Every interview I do, all my clients, I'm always standing when I do stuff. So Nice. One of the things you've mentioned is that the nature of ADHD and how it has, there's sort of hills and valleys, right? ADHD is nothing if not a roller coaster is one of the things I like to say because there are days when I'm the greatest person walking the face of the planet and there's days when I don't know why they let me out of my house and it's just <laughs> the nature of the disorder. How do you find that role? Like what are some of the benefits you're getting from ADHD and what are some of the, the drawbacks excluding attention that almost kills you on the highway? <laughs> yeah, I mean- some of the benefits I mentioned before, I think it, in some ways it does help with my writing. And sometimes the topics, like my first book was about reading the encyclopedia because I felt like I, I was ignorant of so much of the world. And I was inspired by my dad who started to read the encyclopedia when I was a kid, but he didn't finish. He made it up to like the middle of the letter B, like Bolivia. So I thought maybe I'll finish what he began and sort of remove that stain from our family name. And I did, and it was, it was a huge challenge, 
but it was also in some ways ADHD friendly because you would read, you know, three paragraphs on kangaroos and then you would go, it would switch to a whole new topic like, uh, uh, you know, kiwis or whatever comes after kangaroos. And so in that sense, my ADHD helped me. I would say that the downsides can be huge. Like today, I rarely get anything done unless I wake up and have a really strict schedule that I have to stick to. So first I start with, I have a checklist of my morning routine. So everything down to brushing my teeth and putting in my contact lenses and brainstorming for 10 minutes. I find that very helpful. So I I have that in a little checklist. And I think checklists are huge. There was a great book about the power of checklists by a doctor a few years ago. So I find them helpful for organization and an executive function and and battling my ADHD. Uh, So I go through that. And as part of the checklist, I have to make a plan for the day hour by hour of what I'm going to do. So, you know, from 10 to noon, I'm going to turn everything off and try to write. Uh, Noon to one, I'll do emails. And one to two, I'll have this podcast. Now, that's what I try. Some days it works better than others. Today was a disaster, just to be honest. Like, I... I did my morning checklist and I had slotted two hours to write and uh, I did zero. I did zero writing because I got interrupted by my kids and then I did something on Facebook and it sort of, you know, I was responding to people, They people reacted. So it was not successful today, but someday. Can I coach hat it? Yeah. Can I coach hat that heck a little yeah, bit? All right, awesome. Yeah. Because I was having this conversation with a client yesterday (laughs) who's in the same boat this is my theory we are in a season of low productivity Mm -hmm. and it's all school's fault and i think the reason i recognize it is because i used to be a teacher so as a teacher i'm like nah you blow this week off and then you like do 50 percent of what you would ordinarily do until next year (laughs) because it's school for real you blow this week off like you don't you're not teaching anything this week because the kids don't care because thanksgiving is coming right and last week is a little hairy, right? Like last week probably didn't go that great either if, I'm, if my theory is accurate. Last week in school doesn't go that well. And that's the pattern that we learn as kids is like the week before Thanksgiving is a little rough. The week of Thanksgiving, you don't really do anything. And then you kind of coast for December <laughs> <laughs> until January hits and then you do stuff for real. And culturally, that's kind of where we are. That's sort of the approach in general week of Thanksgiving, except for cooking, people are not that productive unless they're like just monster producers from the beginning of their lives and they're always monster producers. But anybody who's not like super type A is probably not going to kill it this week. As well as between Thanksgiving and Christmas, you're just not killing it unless that's who you are in your core, unless you're like that super driven person. Anybody who's not like type A plus, probably December is a little bit of a coasting month. Interesting. I don't, I don't know if that's ringing true for you or not, but that's, that's the theory I'm playing with right now. So are you saying that I should be a little more forgiving of myself for not being productive? Yeah, I am. Well, thank you. That's very kind. Yeah. I, I, are, are there any strategies 
you suggest for trying to compartmentalize or like, what if I pretended it was, you know, won't work. <laughs> <laughs> and because you have ADHD, right? The ADHD part is undermining things a little bit more mm -hmm. because with ADHD, we struggle with transitions, right? We struggle when our, our usual routine gets disrupted, that messes us up. Mm -hmm. And this week, especially that usual routine is getting disrupted. And then even from now through the next, through next year, there's all kinds of holiday parties and holiday things and go buy presents for people and light the menorah and like all of that stuff is also disrupting that normal routine that we're used to and that normal pattern. And that's going to impact our productivity. It, it just is. Well, I have to tell you, forgiving oneself is a very, I think, a very powerful thing that I've learned over the years. So thank you. That would actually be the number one strategy I'd give you for getting through the next month is just forgive yourself. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That is a very, very good advice because, yeah, I, I used to be so hard on myself and, and I think I've realized yeah, we don't have as much control over our own lives as as we like to think, and that it's okay to forgive yourself when you make a mistake. Yeah, I've even had to learn that even just a Monday holiday, like Martin Luther King Day or whatever, even just a Monday holiday messes me up huh. because like everything is weird for the rest of the week. All of a sudden, I didn't really do anything on Monday, but I feel like I should have, but I couldn't because like the kids were home or my wife was home or whatever, like there was a party or something. And so now I'm like, oh, I, I haven't been productive enough. It's already Tuesday and I haven't done anything. And it's like, that's because yesterday was a holiday and no one did anything, but it would sort of throw me off. Like Tuesday, I'd be a little less effective. And then Wednesday, I'd start to pick up the pieces. Mm, so right. it's all that ADHD transition stuff. Very interesting. Thank you. Yeah, sure thing. <laughs> I'm going to ask like the most cliched question in the whole world. And I want to apologize in advance. But I'm hoping that it's helpful because this is an ADHD podcast. So if you don't want to give the cliched answer, you don't have to. But like, where do you get your ideas? And I don't mean like you brainstorm for 10 minutes in the morning. I'm not necessarily that. But like, what is it that hooks you, I guess, is really what I'm asking. What is it about these ideas that hook you that make you say, I want to devote a major chunk of my life to this, whatever it happens to be? I love that question. I don't think it's a cliche question. You know, I love it. I And I love talking about how to get ideas and what ideas interest me. Let me dive in in two ways. First, if I'm going to be working on a project, especially when attention is a struggle, uh, I've got to be totally passionate about it. Uh, when I'm choosing a book to write, I only choose topics that are interesting to me. You know, the Bible, that's that's huge health. I like these huge topics so you can approach them from a hundred different angles. Uh, you know, I've had people say, well, why don't you try to play an instrument, like learn how to be the best French horn player in the world. And that just is not going to hold my attention. But I don't want to gloss over the, the brainstorming because that is really been an important tool in my life. Because I think some people are good at coming up with ideas, you know, in the shower while they're walking. And sometimes that happens to me, but other times I really feel I have to make an appointment. Like I have to make an appointment with my creativity and uh, block out 10 or 15 minutes, turn off all email and uh, internet. I do like to have some materials around like the week magazine, for instance, 
I like to have it because I'll look at it and it'll give me an idea of like, oh, they're talking about Brexit or whatever. Like, what if I brainstormed about Brexit for a couple of minutes? So it's like a little tool, a little, you know, mental playground. And that the magazine is like a jungle gym for me to play on. Uh, yeah, I think it's very important to, to spend a little time just devoted to coming up to I, with ideas. Again, it's, it's a like gratitude. It's a practice. It's a, uh, I, I do think creativity is in some ways a muscle and that the more I do it, and I will tell you 98%, maybe 99% of the ideas are terrible. These, <laughs> like, I never use them, but once in a while I'll come up with something that uh, is a gem and, and I can sometimes tell because it's, it's something that stays in my mind for a couple of weeks. I'll be like, you know, that idea I came up with a couple of weeks ago, if you're still thinking about it, then maybe there's something to it. And another, just, just to finish on the brainstorming, a lot of the times, sometimes I'm trying to come up with article ideas or book ideas or, or even just like life ideas, you know, things that I should be doing with my family. But other times I'm just almost like riffing, like, uh, like scatting, like I'll take a concept like, um, you know, snowman. And I'll be like, what can I do with snowman? Well, what about snow woman? What about snow non-binary person? What about like, instead of a pipe, he has a, you know, a, a vape, he has a jewel. So uh, then you give him a yarmulke and he's a jewelish. There you man. go. No, that didn't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Why not? But yeah, as I say, none of those ideas are ever going to go anywhere. And, you know, they're terrible, but, but they just keep my brain um, flexible. That's awesome. That sort of devoted and structured but unstructured practice of brainstorming. That makes sense. Yeah, I like that way of putting it. I kind of miss that. I, there was a time when I used to do that, and then I had children, and it didn't happen anymore. Um, <laughs> no, it's true. It it, is every time hard. I start to get somewhere, they interrupt me, especially with COVID. And one of the things you mentioned is that you'll sort of discard an idea, and then it, sometimes it comes back up. I actually do that when it comes to like workshop ideas and business ideas and that kind of stuff, I will intentionally not record things that I feel like I should do. Like I'll intentionally not write it down. Like, oh, this seems like a good idea. I'm not writing it down. Because if it is a good idea, it'll come back. And that's sort of my test for if this is actually a good idea or if it's just a thing that's grabbing me right now because I have ADHD and I'm being impulsive and thinking it's fun. That's a very interesting strategy. Maybe I'll try that. Yeah. I have enough paper on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> And enough thoughts dancing through my head that if I can intentionally let go of one, it's useful. One of the things I haven't done, I haven't really done a good job of putting you over as a writer. And I want to make sure that I do that because earlier you were talking about how your writing has to keep you interested in order for you to feel like it's working. And I just wanted to compliment you on that because it does. That's exactly what it does. Your books are easy to read. They keep my attention. They kind of like drag me forward through them. Like there's some books that if I really want to engage with it, I have to like listen to the audible recording of it because the audible recording doesn't stop and forces me to stay tuned in. And that is not your books. Your books keep me tuned in by themselves because your writing flows well. Your voice is great as if I can be an English teacher for a minute. But what really does it for me is you throw these information nuggets at random, like every four or five paragraphs, there's like, and here's this random thing about like coffee lids 
and what the major advancements in coffee lids are. Read Thanks a Thousand if you want to learn about the coffee lids advancements. They're really interesting, and I don't drink coffee. That stuff happens. It's like all of a sudden there's this little nugget of something that's incredibly interesting. You explain it for a paragraph or two, and then you kind of move on back to the main point, which is a very ADHD sort of writing style, right? Like that's kind of how our brains work. We're like, here's this thing I'm paying attention to, and now I'm going to rabbit hole for a minute, and then I'm going to come back to what I was paying attention to, and then I'm going to rabbit hole again 10 minutes later, and then I'll get back to what I was focusing on. Your books do that throughout pretty much, and I love it. I think it's phenomenal. I really enjoy those that aspect of your books. And I sometimes sit back and I'm like, how much time did he spend researching for this like two and a half paragraph long piece of information? <laughs> Does that stuff just kind of come up naturally as you're writing the book? Are you actually spending time digging into something and then sort of squishing it down to a brief nugget in the greater context of the book? Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, I love to hear that. I, I think you're right. It is kind of an ADHD style of writing. It's what I like to read. I like to read books where hopefully it's interesting, but also you get these occasional pearls, these nuggets, these cocktail party worthy little bites that you can be like, oh, I didn't know that. But yeah, the, they do not. I uh, I love recent. Weirdly, I'm a writer, but I hate writing. I'm not a fan of the actual, which maybe is not a good thing for my choice of job. But uh, I love researching. I love talking about the books coming on podcasts like yours. I do not like actually sitting alone and typing the words uh, and possibly ADHD plays a part in that. But I do, I go, as you say, rabbit holes, I go down. Here's a little interesting segue. I think the rabbit hole is from Lewis Carroll. I spent last week going down a Lewis Carroll rabbit hole because I'm writing a book about puzzles and my love of puzzles of all kinds. And Lewis Carroll was a huge puzzler. So I spent like literally half a day researching Lewis Carroll's love. He had a weird obsession with the number 42. You can find 42 in his books mentioned over and over. I wonder if that loops back to Douglas Adams in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I wonder if he's referencing Lewis Carroll in that. There you go. He Well, there's a big debate. See, this is what I spent half a day doing. Is, you know, <laughs> Douglas Adams says no, but everyone else says, all the Lewis Carroll fans say, yeah, he must have done it. For listeners who don't know, Douglas Adams wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And one of the big jokes is they're searching for the meaning of life. And the meaning of life in the end turns out to be the number 42. But anyway, that is probably going to be a sentence in my book. And yet I spent to, you know half a day researching it. So there is a subset of my audience right now who heard you say puzzles and are all screaming at me in their heads right now to say what I'm about to say, which is if you haven't already gone and looked at Dungeons and Dragons as a resource for puzzles, you have to go look and play in that world and see what they do with puzzles. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that is, I have not gone down that rabbit hole, but thank you. Sure thing. Happy to be yeah. contributing. <laughs> and with all of that said, just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? I'm a beginner, so I, I love listening to your podcast to get some essentials. I, I do find when I did that article on, on attention, uh, one of the themes was monotasking or unitasking as opposed to multitasking. Uh, because as you no doubt know, multitasking 
is a myth. You don't really multitask. You switch from one to another, and there's a huge cost every time you switch from talking on the phone to looking at your screen, your computer screen. So in the quest to monotask, I developed some strategies. A lot of them were based on the Odysseus strategy, which, as you probably know, when Odysseus was going to sail through the sirens, who are these mermaids who sing and and they entice sailors to jump in to the water and drown. So Odysseus, his strategy was to plan ahead. He knew he was not going to have free will, so he tied himself to the mast. He had the sailors put wax in his ears so he couldn't hear. And that is a great metaphor for a lot of strategies I try to use. I use a lot of the software like Freedom, where it turns off my access to the internet for two hours so that even if I have the urge, I can't get on the internet or putting my iPhone in another room. Or when I talk on the phone, like with my parents, my urge is to multitask, read the New York Times while I'm talking to them. But I'll often just force myself to close my eyes so I'm not even tempted and I can really focus on the conversation. And it's it's really interesting when you actually focus on a conversation. It is a different flavor. It's a different experience. And it's, it's a good one. I think uh, there are reasons why conversation is an important part of life. That would be what I found effective is, uh, is trying to be more like Odysseus. Not as violent, not as violent, but with the uh, tying to the mast part. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need. Thank you.